Hello out there on the internet, I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Hey, did y'all know that AI is set to auto-automate? <laughs> this is why, see, I usually read it before uh, before I do it, uh, and I, every time I don't, I stumble over it in some way. I'm going to leave Automate this away is a tough one, it I is, think. It is, it is. So, so, let me try this again. Hey, did y'all know that AI is set to automate away as many as a third of your tasks? In the future, we're all going to be saving a lot of time. That's as long as no one invents general AI that fires all the nukes or turns us into paper clips, which some experts seem to think will surely happen. Today, we're going to talk about hype, not the exciting kind of hype, but crit hype, a kind of techno-doomerism we're often fond of here at Motherboard, social media, biogenetics, artificial intelligence, these things could ruin us all. At least, that's what people tell you when they're selling something. Lee Vinsel is professor. Lee Vinsel is a professor of science, technology, and society at Virginia Tech, and the host of the People and Things podcast. His medium post that caught our eye and is the inspiration for this episode is "You're Doing It Wrong: Notes on Criticism and Technology Hype." Sir, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. Thanks for having me. Okay, so your piece broadly is about something called, do you say crit-a-hype? That's what I say, yeah. Okay, can you define that for us? So I think of crit-a-hype as the kind of negative flip side of positive hype. So positive hype is what we're kind of used to, like venture capitalists and startup founders and people telling us how the technology that they make or are backing is going to change the world for the better and revolutionize everything and make it great. And what I noticed over the past several years is that there's a flip side of it, which is that of technology critics who want to like go after the companies or the technology that the companies are making, but they do so in a way that kind of buys into the rhetoric of those firms. Um, and so, you know, it almost becomes like the criticism seems like it's written by Google or Facebook's ad department or something. It's like, you know, Google or Facebook, just as an example, really wants you, you know, uh, ad buyers to believe that their ads are powerful and, you know, could create a lot of sales. And, um, the negative side of that would be like, oh, well, Facebook and Google are controlling our minds with their, with their technology. And so we really need to be worried about it. It just kind of buys into the company's line about their power. When, when we really drill into it, there's lots of reasons to think that, well, internet advertising just isn't that effective as one example. So that's the kind of phenomenon I was trying to point to. Right. The, the, the most recent run of this, I would say is around artificial intelligence where people like Elon Musk and others write pen a letter and say like, we've got to slow all this down. We've got to take a pause. This stuff is so powerful. We just don't know what's going to happen. It could kill us all. Um, Which as you said, in a way is kind of buying into this idea that these systems are going to revolutionize the world. They're incredibly powerful when in fact, like anyone who's messed around with this stuff for very long knows that there are some pretty strong limitations to it. 
It doesn't seem yeah. like it's getting all that better. And in fact, there was a great story this week um, about how eventually you run out of human generated content that these things can train on. So they start training on AI generated content. And as soon as like the snake starts eating its own tail, um, it's like shoveling its own dog shit into its mouth. See chat. Then I cursed <laughs> on stream again. <laughs> uh, well, just, I'm glad it, you did. Cause I probably would have, but I won't. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a general trend. And I think, you know, what's amazing about this moment with this open letter, the AI open letter, is, um, you know, earlier I was really writing about how there's a market for criticism, right? So, you know, there's, you can get clicks and sell books and get grants from the government to kind of work on the problems around this new technology and how we might deal with the ethics and legal issues with it. Um, what's amazing about the open letter is like it's people who are heavily invested in this technology who have almost like weaponized crit hype. Like they're using it now. The firms themselves are using it now. And, and so that's like a really amazing turn that I kind of wasn't predicting. I always thought it would be like the critics role, but yeah, we're at it. You know, if things can get crappy, they will, I guess is like <laughs> the rule. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got a turn of phrase in here. I really like, uh, wishful worry oh yeah that's so that comes from my buddy david brock who is um he works at the computer history museum and in silicon valley and this is a concept he came up with which was like a wishful worry is like news stories about like some science fictional problem that might result from future technologies when like you know just to think about California, there's a massive homelessness crisis and housing crises all around the nation, real human suffering going on right now that we don't need nanotech or AI to fundamentally shift society to have very real suffering. So wishful worries are, you know, the opposite of what we call sometimes call uh, actual anguish or actual anxieties, you know? Yeah. Right. It's almost like you can focus on this, semi-fictional existential crisis instead of worrying about the real human suffering that's in front of you every day, right? Like here's this seemingly intractable problem um, of homelessness it, like that you see every day as you're walking through the street. Um, but instead of focusing on that, we should really make sure that the robots don't kill us in three generations. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of my favorites is, uh, you know, will your sex robot be able to murder you in the future? There was an article I saw about that. I'm like, this is really, this is what we need to be worried about. But I think, you know, it, it's very clear for me, you know, and um, my buddy Aaron Gordon at, at Motherboard, you know, we talk a lot about them, you know, just how the news media works around these issues. Because it's very clear to me that there's got it, there's a market for this stuff. There, It gets clicks or else it wouldn't be such a recurrent phenomenon, you know? Well, you know, we do... To be clear, and I want to, this is not an excuse to not criticize tech companies, to not criticize new tech, right? This is yeah. just to be more considered about it, right? Right. And, you know, my first book is, uh, my first book I wrote, Moving Violations, is a history of automobile regulation in the United States from like 1893 to the Google car. And, I'm pro, I'm a pro regulation person. Like that's a core part of my professional identity is thinking about how to regulate things well. But I think as part of that, if you look into the history of automobile regulation, you need in a, you know, to do regulation well in a, in a democratic society, you need to have good evidence 
of what the harms or at least potential harms of something are. And that requires investigation. And so often crit hype is like science fictional prophecies and humans are just terrible at predicting where technology is going to go. So I think that is not really a great way to think about these issues. What we need to do is really investigate what's happening or potentially happening. Yeah. I think uh, something that made all of this very clear for me in your essay was this, this, this crit hype cycle that we're kind of on the other end of as we're moving into AI, which is social media and advertising just like what a decent mm-hmm. chunk of your essays about. There have been a couple big books and uh, a documentary recently that you're pretty critical of in the piece. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So that's the social dilemma, which really kind of uh, it's a kind of anti-social media documentary. It's on Netflix documentary, probably in quotation marks. Um, uh, and it was one of these things that really went viral. So I, it was, you know, I, I have these, Oh, I love cats and, and podcasts is always the way to go. Um, uh, I have these moments with technology where like old high school kind of friends will back channel me DMS on Facebook and be like, what do you think about the social dilemma as an example? And it'll be like, well, I think it's really terrible uh, because it's like, you know, there's imagery that like Facebook and social media firms are like controlling our minds like puppet masters. When we look into the social science of, uh, you know, how this works, it's nothing like that. And these firms wish it was like that because they could generate more ad revenue. But that's just not like people don't want to hear that, you know, so they send me the videos and I tell them what I think. And then it's like, well, I think it's great. And that's the end of that DM. Um, so what I was trying to point out is that like, you know, there's a lot of media that, uh, Shoshana Zuboff's age of surveillance capitalism or whatever that book is called huge doorstop of a, of a book. Um, very little empirical evidence about how social media companies can, can control our thoughts or actions. And I think that that's the kind of thing I was doing in that section is just saying like, all right, here's a lot of fear. Here's these media products of various sorts. But when we drill into what we know from the social science, it doesn't look like this is a very realistic spin on the issue, which is not to say we shouldn't regulate or break up Google or Facebook. I'm I'm totally on board with regulating ads in all kinds of uh, ways, including just killing targeted advertising altogether. Um, The Electronic Frontier Foundation has put that forward in the last year. Sounds good to me for a variety of reasons, but I don't think to do that. We need to premise it on kind of bogus claims about the powers of these things. Right. It was, I was kind of shocked because I, I have not read the book to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say in the piece that a lot of the, a lot of the academic work that uh, underpins the argument are the, the are studies conducted by Facebook itself. Right. Can you, can yeah, there's that one voting study that Facebook did that got a lot of attention. And, you know, my friends who are like statisticians, I rely on my you know friends who are really are, are statisticians to look at these studies with me. And they're like, this thing is very underpowered. The effects are very small. Um, so you wouldn't read this study carefully with those kind of social scientific eyes on and think like this is a blow away case that like social media can control our thoughts. And yet it's like plays a very hinge point kind of role in Zuboff's argument. And the other one, you know, the other one that uh, Zuboff relies on both in the book and a New York Times op-ed 
is like this story of like how um, Pokemon was it Pokemon, Pokemon Go? Go was that the app? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, so Niantic was, like, allowing companies like McDonald's to just place Pokemon Go spots by McDonald's, right, for a fee. And you're, like, you read that, and it's, like, so people went to outside of McDonald's to do a little Pokemon thing, and maybe they went in and got some fries after they did so. But I, I don't feel, like, deeply controlled uh, when I read that story, you know, in any detail. So a couple different thoughts here. One is I feel like anecdotally everyone has the experience of uh, like losing a friend or a relative to some weird Facebook shit. Yeah. Right. Whether that's QAnon or any other, or like some other weird stuff they like, they spend too much time looking at posts and they get real right. weird and disconnected from reality. Right. Yeah. So, like, I do feel like that is a real thing that most of us have experienced, yeah? Absolutely. That kind yeah. of contributes to this thought that these sites control us. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, what is actually being measured here, like, when Facebook does this study? Uh, it's, like, view time, interaction with a post. Did they? Sh- did people share it? What did they say? Right. Um but they can't actually, and like all of that's they they extrapolate from those interactions what people think and feel. Mm-hmm. But they, but you can't ever actually know that in a real way, right? Um, yeah. Like the AI, like uh, the story we talked about off off podcast and on the stream itself. Uh, catch mm-hmm. us every Friday at eleven a.m. at twitch.tv forward slash vice, uh, eleven a.m. Eastern. Um, we talked about like uh, people sharing a Hobby Lobby story or a story about AI generated images of satanic uh, stuff being sold at a Hobby Lobby. Mm-hmm. Shared more than six thousand times on Facebook. Um, you can see that's that's an impressive number. Uh, yeah. The reasons people shared it were almost as varied as the people themselves. People were sharing yep. it credulously. People were sharing it to say like, "Oh, this is funny." It was all over the map, right? And like, right. And as I think you point out in the Critahype piece, those Facebook studies that looked at um, how people were controlled by advertising uh, yeah. were very broad. Like the survey, the this, this sample size was enormous, right? Right. I mean, that was the whole point of, you know, why it got attention. I can't remember what big journal it was in, but part of the point is your sample size is so enormous, it's, it seems unique in a sense. Yeah, and with with a sample size that large, it's impossible to drill down and make, I think, large generalizations about, like, what people are thinking and feeling when they share, when they they push one of these buttons on one of these websites, right? Yep, yep. And I also think, you know, um, I think the right way to think about these issues, and this has a long tradition going back in media studies, is to think about you know, going back to like the mid 20th century and in, in studies of how people use radio is to think about people as active consumers of media. So totally people go down rabbit holes, but there's they're, they're set up in a, in a variety of ways to make them drawn to that whatever rabbit hole. Right. That's part of their makeup. And it confirms narratives they already have about the world. You don't end up in QAnon without having um, some setup where that that seems like an appealing narrative about power and 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 corruption and all these kinds of things, you know. So that's a really good point. Like, if you're getting into the QAnon conspiracy, 
on Facebook, there were probably some other things happening in your life uh, that made you interested in that kind of story, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it comes out in like the Russian misinformation stories that came out post 2016. Absolutely. A lot of it, you know, a lot of the reporting on that was all about like, you know, it was kind of mind control stuff. Like the Russians are shooting in misinformation and controlling us. It's like, no, these are communities resharing these memes, whether it's Black Lives Matter or some right wing crap, you know, because it fits the narrative and, 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 it, and it supports their worldview already. So you really have to. I mean, I think there's deep regulatory issues to think about social media and how it creates subcultures and allows for the, the expanse of this world and what that means. But we have to think about it in the right way. And I think thinking about people as active agents belonging to cultures is. And by the way, you know, there's a lot. We also celebrate this when it's like sexual minorities or people discovering how to think about their. Uh, gender or other kinds of identities, which is also enabled by the exact things of having little pools of people that are like-minded sharing ideas, you know? So where we, where we hate it and think it's terrible and where we celebrate it and think it's like opened up whole new ways of being in the world has a lot to do with like who we are as individuals and where we fit in kind of the social world. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are back on with Lee Vinsel talking about Krita hype. Um, I want to focus on the advertising a little bit more too, because yeah, things have gotten real weird <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you make the point in your piece, uh, Contra Harris and Zuboff. It seems Mark Zuckerberg cannot sell me fucking socks, <laughs> let alone purposely <laughs> significantly change my politics or self concept. Um, I mm-hmm. thought this was a really good point because. Uh, one of the background story, like a conversation that's been happening in the background on motherboard slacks lately is like, look at this weird advertisement I'm seeing on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. That has nothing to do. Like who do the, who does this website think I am? Yeah. Um, I get like a lot of uh, like gun pieces, <laughs> like a lot of gun advertisements. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I think it's because like I report on national security issues. It's the only thing uh-huh. I can think of. Um, mm-hmm. is, but, but like, what kind of stuff do you see? Or what are they trying to sell you that, that you have no interest in? I so I've for a long time I've followed conservative thought and and groups in the country and um. Uh, and so it often assumes that I want more of that crap. So a lot of time my feed will be full of like, you know, right wing t-shirts and stuff like that, uh, that I just, yeah, I have no interest in. And I'm, I assume it's making inference from the fact that I actually do read like heritage foundation and Cato Institute stuff, uh, and goes to those websites. So it, it's making f- bad inferences, but to, you know, the, the point about your discussion you're having with your colleagues is, 
you know, that's a whole genre of post, I feel like, on both Facebook and Twitter, in my experience, is like, look how wrong they have me. Yeah. You know? It's it's really funny, too, because it has this air of, like, again, kind of talking to that cable newsification of the internet that we were talking about uh, off stream or off podcast. It has the air of, I'm an insomniac. Um, how I got through the insomnia when I was, like, in my adolescence is I knew that at 2 a.m. Central Standard Time, that's when the infomercials came on, and they were going to lull me into sleep. There's, like, a brand of infomercial that kind of runs, like, 3 to 4 a.m., that are like that's all that this weird product could afford. It's for no one. No one's going to buy it. It is very right. strange and off-putting, especially like you're half asleep. And like it feels like a lot of what I see advertised in these on these social media sites now is that kind of strange thing. Um, yeah, it's just the deepening of this weird inshitification. Um, yeah, and probably speaks to just like how the fact that we aren't seeing like big brand name companies in those spots very often probably speaks to how rough the business is at this point for these firms too. If that's all they can get, that's a, that's a bad sign. Uh, Another thing I want to bring up on the documentaries before we kind of get more into AI. (laughs) When I saw this, I was like, Oh, this is really damning. Um, I've got in the, there's a, there's a link to a comic in the middle of the pre-production document, if we can bring that up on the stream. Um, it is, can you tell me about them talking about bicycles? Oh in the documentary? God. Yeah. So this is, there's this guy, Tristan Harris. Um, I can't remember what the Institute he started up with, but it's like, you know, it's, it has to do with like making t- social media ethical, right. By, by, rejiggering the technology in various ways to make it less addictive and stuff. Now he's gotten post chat GPT has gotten in on the kind of AI hype grift. We'll talk about in a second as well, but he's one of the talking heads along with Shoshana Zuboff in this social dilemma. And he has this, you know, he he's talking about how there's a lot of blowback to social media. And he is like, well, let's think about the bicycle. There was no blowback to bicycles. And it's just hilarious because in one of the most famous, essays in the kind of social studies of technology uh it introduced the notion of the social construction of technology there's a section on you know that deals with specifically how there was social blowback to bicycles including like farmers and other people throwing stones at bicyclists they hated them you know there was a whole genre of media poems and comics about bicyclists as just terrible people so there i mean it's just like a lot of this this uh kind of it, hype and crita hype you know is predicated on deep ignorance of the past and how we people have responded to technology historically and i mean basically every media technology has had some kind of moral crisis and moral panic around it whether it's the radio or television the list goes on the the bicycle one is really instructive i think because they called them uh before they called them bicycles they called them velocipedes Mm-hmm. And like that was like this really kind of it's a gross sounding word. So you'd have like velocipedes, and there was moral panic around like should young ladies be allowed to ride a velocipede? Look at this woman; she's riding a velocipede. She's smoking yeah. a cigarette. This is bad. It's like uh, a lot of the like the Victorian era comics around that are so jarring that there's a really famous um, yeah. Here we go. 
the awful effects of Velocipede. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's an Where you said it was going to mess with your brains yeah. and, you know. And I mean, to go back to an earlier conversation about, like, satanic panic and, uh, and uh, what, what was it, Hobby Lobby, um, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of talk about bicycle fiends, okay? So it was all, like, a lot of this is caught up in, like, a the, the kind of... Uh, the imagery and, and worries of kind of Satan, satanic forces in the world, uh, attracting people, to these new technologies. Um, this is, this is a pop culture one that I think is really good, uh, from Beatmaster in the chat. Uh, the anti-woke crowd lamenting how Star Trek has become progressive, ignoring, oh, yeah. <laughs> ignoring, like, ignoring the interracial Yes, in, in whatever year, like 1967 or 68, whenever it was. Yeah, yeah. The first interracial kiss on television. <laughs> um, famously progressive television show, Star Trek, the original series. It's always been yeah, that yeah. way. Um, I think in like, uh, I believe Deep Space Nine was the first uh, like black male lead, uh, like on a major, like on a major hour long drama, right? Like it's, in, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always been, it's always been a progressive television show. Um, yeah. And yeah, but they don't like the politics of the moment entering into their Star Trek, which has always been a politics of the moment television show. So this, yep. this then leads us to AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought one of the things I thought was really interesting here was you talking about how, and you saw that you also saw this in biogenetics, uh, how academics become part of the hype cycle around these new technologies um, and it yeah. becomes good business for them to get involved in the hype totally. cycle. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, this, so this does go back, I think, to the Human Genome Project is an important moment. Uh, some colleagues are, think it goes back to the 70s, but I, I need to see their writings on this, and then you know I'll incorporate it in the narrative. But so at least since the Human Genome Project, there's been money available via federal agencies like the NSF and the NIH to do like human kind of it, it, one, one term of it is LC. So ethical, legal, social implications of whatever emerging technology and doing kind of like promissory notes of like, let's think through the social impacts of this thing uh, becomes kind of a business. Cause you can, you can pull down literally millions of dollars uh, to do this kind of work. I mean, I think there was just a, I saw a huge, grant on responsible AI, people pull down like $30 million to do some th- responsible AI project. And I think whenever a market kind of emerges, I think we should think about academic markets in a real real way here. Whenever a market emerges, it, there are incentives to kind of play around o- 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 along with uh, whatever narrative is emerging about the power of this thing. In my own field, I think you can really see it in nanotechnology, where there was all these like volumes about like the potential social and uh, ethical impacts of nano, and like these volumes, you know, like the the people I've written about this, and they pushed back and said, "Well, we were always just acting as if it might be true." You know, I'm like, "Well, I mean, like, like, well, I I don't know, I don't don't think that gets you off the hook," you know. and so, um, yeah, I think there's incentives to really play along with the, the hype around technologies in academia. And I think we see it all over the place, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's the academics see, like, people are frightened of um, an AI basilisk coming along and torturing us forever because we didn't invent it sooner, even though we could have. 
Mm-hmm. Let's and people are willing to give us thousands of dollars to study that. Right. So let's lean into their fear of this hypothetical AI basilisk that's going to torture us all. Uh, so yeah. we can get that money, right? Yep. Get that bag. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, there's, I saw a paper a year or two ago. I haven't been able to refine it, unfortunately. It's one of those great losses. But it was about how grant cycles have created um, incentives for, scientists and engineers to lie about the potentials of what they're doing and mislead people because they want to get that money. So they're making dramatic, certain kinds of dramatic claims. And I think we just have to apply that to ourselves and say, like, let's be real. You know, I can go to conference programs and show that, you know, people in my field are just following the hype around emerging technologies. And there's very little attention paid to, again, the ordinary, anguishes that are very real you know there's very few papers on the lack of septic tanks in poor black communities in the rural south but people are getting tropical diseases because they lack you know like there's their their waste is just going out on the ground and they're getting all kinds of terrible things that disappeared earlier in the 20th century so i think that's i always try to say well what else could we do and that's what i think was wait, we just need to drill in on actual human suffering which is always related to technology, you know, or very often is related to lack of septic tanks, lack of functioning uh, elevators and housing complexes and stuff. You know, I mean, I think those are the kinds of things that require our attention. Yeah, it's like so much of the world lags behind, but everyone's obsessed with whatever the whatever the the horrifying future might be in the yeah. next year or two, right? They we have see. railroad crashes in Ohio that are, you know, like just dreadful. Right. Uh, yeah. That's a great, like yeah. a great example. Something that uh, our mutual friend Aaron has had been writing about for years before it happened. Exactly. He's, he's very focused on like American infrastructure and could have told you that something like this was coming. Um, yep. And here it is. And here it is. Um, and we talked, we talked about it for a little bit, but now let's move on and talk about how frightening the AI future is. And how we're yeah. all going to be put into the matrix and made to serve our robot overlords, et cetera, right? I think that the most irritating thing about the, you know, and maybe this is where, where part of where you wanted to go briefly, but I think the most irritating about the AI thing is just we just did this. <laughs> In like 2014 or 2015, there was incredible hype around AI. There were these books like The Second Machine Age that rise to the robots and all these books were coming out. And, you know, they were talking about how these AI and robots were going to, like, transform our organizations. And and there was going to be these huge productivity bursts, so much so that people were going to be laid off left and right. McKinsey was putting out reports that, like, 30 to 40 percent of jobs were going to be automated away. And then none of it happened. Productivity has been super low since that time and even negative some quarters by federal measures. And so, like, we're not learning. I think that's part of my my real frustration in the last year is just watching the chat GPT thing play out. And it's like, didn't we just do this with NFTs and Web3 and AI and all these things over the past decade? Now we're going to do it again without even a sense of irony. You know, I mean, that's just so frustrating. The the NFT thing, the NFT example, I think, is really apt because um, any of the other journalists that would come on this program will tell you. That for the past couple of years, every morning you wake up and there are 20 emails in your inbox about Web3 and NFTs and how they're going to revolutionize everything. 
yeah. six months to a year, it's changed. Um, the tenor of the emails is the exact same, but the subject mm-hmm. is different. And it is about AI and how these new AI yes. systems are going to revolutionize everything and change the yeah. world and change your jobs. Um, and it really does. I saw this beautiful chart that was like this. And it was, it was falling. It was falling Web3 VC money versus rising uh, AI funding. And it was just like, it just moved spots, you know? Uh, it was almost one to one. But I get, so I get these emails too because of this podcast. It's funny how you end up on like PR, uh, you know, lists. Everyone wants and to I, come you know, on just, the podcast. That's always the pitch. It's like we've got a the CEO would be a great guest on your podcast to talk about yep. their AI solution to medical billing or whatever the fuck. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And just to connect it to our current conversation, I get emails from Critahype academics. Like I got a, 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 a PR email from this woman who is supposedly an expert in algorithmic bias, which is like racist algorithms. A lot of excitement around this topic. So I was like, okay. I drill in. She has no publications on the on the issue. It was like there wasn't even obvious expertise there. It was just like the, they, they hired a publicist. And for me, that was just like further confirmation about how there's a perceived market there to be an expert and get hired, you know, to come give talks at firms, write things. Um, you know, at least there was a perception that it was worth paying this publicist, I don't know, $10,000 or whatever to try to get out there. I think... It's VCs and money in general are capital is looking for the next gold rush with tech. And it's just yeah. not quite coming, right? We had yep. this, this big social media rush that's collapsed. Um, yep. People tried VR, collapsed. Yeah, uh, There's this NFT Web3 thing that people were rushing towards. Didn't take off yep. at all. And now we're in the middle of the, the AI version of this. Um, and there's yep. early indications uh, that it's that to capital that it's going to make a bunch of money, right? Um, I have my doubts. I think there are severe yep. limitations, and we're going to abut against those very soon. Um, Looks that way. And it's going to yep. collapse again. And it's like everyone's trying to pump up the next tech bubble. And we can't quite get there to see what it's going to be. Everyone wants to yeah. be part of the next dot-com bubble or the next social media bubble, right? Yeah, and I think so. That I'm writing a book related to this topic. It's called A Good History of Shit Jobs is the is the project title. And uh, and I think you know, if we look at um, people like the Marxist historian Robert Brenner, I think it goes back to the 70s and the decline of manufacturing and capital's inability to find productive, high-return places to, to put money basically. And so what we've gotten since the eighties is recurrent asset bubbles. Sometimes it's been things like, uh, um, you know, the housing crisis in 2008, but it's a lot of times it's been focused on technology as the new revolutionary thing that's going to change everything. And we're just seeing wave after wave of that not happening. You know, there was a brief boost in of productivity in the nineties around something called the new economy. It was the dot com era. But then that fizzled around 2003, 2004. Um, there was a dot-com bust, and then the technology just kind of plateaued. And we just really have – we've seen a lot of promissory notes in the period since then, but we just – things are not delivering. Um, and so, you know, then that gets into deep questions about why can we have better research and development. I mean, there's a lot of questions there, but 
think the reality is, you know, for, for the sake of this conversation, I think it's just important to say like, well, maybe we're just doing it wrong and we're just going to continue to get these kind of unproductive bubbles happening over and over again. All right, Lee, I know we need to let you go. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to ask you one more question and we're going to leave out yeah. on the podcast. Uh, and then we're going to go raid somebody else on Twitch. Uh, but let me ask you this last question. So we've talked a lot about like things that you shouldn't be worried about, maybe things that you're over worrying about. Um, when you look at kind of the, the future next, next couple of years in general, what are the things that you are actually concerned about? What do you think are the great um, worries that we should be have? Where should we actually be focusing our attention? Yeah. I mean, so the, the, Good History of Shit Jobs book, I build on um, this group at United Way called ALICE. It stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. It's basically the working poor is the way to think about it. And they have a really nice measure of, of economic hardship. They found about 40% of American families can barely make ends meet. I think that when you combine with like env- environmental degradation and climate change are like the issues, <laughs> like poverty and environmental degradation is where we should be focused. And I really think that poverty, that 40% is feeding into all kinds of awful politics we see in our nation on the left and the right. And, um, and especially the right, unfortunately, we can just look in my neighbor, West Virginia here and what's happening there. Um, and so I think that if we do not address these very deep economic issues of inequality and poverty, then we're, you know, there are disasters may emerge from that. Yeah. Lee Vinsel, thank you so much for coming on to the cyber podcast and the cyber stream and walking us through this. If you liked listening to the podcast, you want to catch us live and you want to get into chat, have a, have a little talk with us. We also do some other stories on the front and back half of this show. We are streaming every day at, or yeah, every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash vice. You can find us wherever all fine pods are casted. But again, catch us live at twitch.tv forward slash vice at 11 a.m. Eastern. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about some more cybercrime with Joseph. He's gotten into some weird Minecraft servers uh, that have some very strange things going on. Um, or we might be talking more a little bit about the inshittification and kind of the death of the usable internet with Jason, who's been all really on top of the Reddit story. Thank you all so much for tuning into this fine podcast, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK.